Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Everybody doing good today? Everybody doing good today? God is good? And all the time. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, if you are new, my name is John and I am blessed to serve as the pastor here and thankful the last uh, few weeks that last two Sundays that uh, my wife and I got to be on vacation and took a week, uh, actually went on vacation with my, my twin brother and his wife as we were all, well, all of us but one were celebrating this year our 50th birthday and we were both celebrating our 30th anniversary all signs of old age, all right? So I appreciate Nathan and Carlos who preached the last two weeks and did an amazing job continuing our series in Esther. And so if you are not for sure where we're going to be, we're going to be in the book of Esther, right? So find your way to Esther. We're going to be in chapter 9 and 10 as we are going to conclude this series, Pathway uh, to purpose, and I have greatly uh, enjoyed studying again the book of Esther. It seems like any time we go back through a book or restudy, there's always more information. There's always something new uh, to learn. We started this series on Friend Day, and we gave you a quick overview on Friend Day. And so I want to remind you of that that quick overview that kind of has guided uh, our study in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, as we think about really the big question of Esther, the question that kind of comes off the page is this idea of God's presence. Esther and Song of Solomon are the only two books in the Bible that don't mention the name of God. And so we wrestle with this question, if God is not mentioned, is God even around? And, and, and so the big question, God's presence. And we really wrestled or settled on this statement, even when we don't see God, he is working. Do you believe that? Even when we don't see God, he is working. That's kind of the big question in the book of Esther. The big idea is God's providence. Again, these go hand in hand, but God's providence. And we ask three questions that kind of have guided our discussion. And these three questions uh, really talk about the providence of God. So I'm going to ask you to, to yell out the answer, yes or no. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God is in control? Yes. Okay, now here's where it gets difficult. This is where faith now comes into play. And this is what we see all throughout the book of Esther. When we think about God's providence, that God is in control, that he is sovereign, that he's working behind the scenes to work all things uh, for my good and his glory, then we have to wrestle with the third question. And I don't necessarily want you to yell it out because you may not be in the place where you could answer it with great confidence. Will you trust that God is good and God is in control until he proves it? And that's a constant question we have to ask ourselves, and that's a constant question we see in the book of Bible. And uh, in, in the Bible, as you see in Hebrews, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And this is a big faith question. It's easy to say God is good and God is in control when everything is going your way, and then it becomes difficult when life is not exactly how you had hoped or planned it to be and you're in a season of frustration or hurt or sickness or there's been death. All these issues we face because of sin, will you choose to trust? So that's the big idea, God's providence. Then we looked at this big, the big deal. So what's the big deal? And it's God's 
plan. The Bible is a story of God redeeming mankind back to himself. And that is a, a theme that you'll see all throughout scripture. To understand that as human beings, we are born into sin and our sin separates us from a holy, righteous God. And we all enter the world with the same problem. And that is that our sin has separated us from a holy, righteous God. And because of that, we need a redeemer. We need someone to purchase us. We need someone to pay the penalty of our sin. And Jesus paid your sin debt. Did you know that? Are you excited about that? And that's the story of the Bible. Esther is a picture of Jesus. She's what some would say the little R redeemer pointing to Jesus, the capital R redeemer. And, and that's the story of the Bible. If you have never met Jesus as your redeemer, I want to encourage you. And I want you to know today that Jesus came and he lived a sinless, perfect life. He hung on a tree willingly and in humility so that you could have freedom from sin. And if you have never experienced the grace of God, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He died for you. That's the story of the Bible. And we see God's plan of redemption even in the book of Esther. Carlos finished last week on chapter 8, the last verse, verse 17. I don't think this is going to be on the screen. For you running the computer, you don't have to go looking for it. I did not put it in there, all right? And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. And this is a picture of what God's plan was for the nation of Israel. God wanted the nation of Israel to live in obedience so that then they could live in his blessing. And when people saw the people of God living in obedience and experiencing the blessing of God, that they would say, we want to serve that God. Yahweh seems pretty awesome. But Israel didn't always live in obedience, and because they didn't always live in obedience, then God would punish them. The same is, uh, is the same for us as followers of Jesus today. The Bible says that if people look at our lives, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And you and I are commanded to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we would live in that reality, God is my priority. We just sing about it. If we would live in that reality, that God is my priority, I'm going to love him and I'm going to love others. When people experienced and observed that in us as a church member, as a follower of Jesus, then they would say, I want to serve that guy. I want to serve Yahweh. He seems pretty awesome. And like the nation of Israel, we often live in obedience. We don't live in our pathway to purpose and we experience the same thing the nation of Israel did. We live in bondage to sin that we no longer have to be in bondage to. So as we think about this verse that we just read, in this moment of time, the people saw the people of God being blessed by the all-powerful Yahweh. And what did it cause them to do? I want to serve that God. And as Carlos pointed out last week, this is a theme throughout the book, divine reversals. What seems what's going to happen, and then everything shifts. And we're going to come to an immediate divine reversal as soon as we get into chapter 9. So let me give you a quick 
as quick as I can overview of the book of Esther. Some of you, you may not have been with us in this series. It's very, uh, I think I can go through this really quick. How many of you think I can go through this really quick? You have no faith in me. I don't have much faith, I don't have much faith in myself either, but we're gonna, we're gonna try. So, there's an orphan Jewish girl living in captivity in Persia. She has an uncle slash cousin that's a close relative, depending on what translation you read. And she's an orphan living in a foreign land. The king, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, he's got two names, banishes queen Vashti because she won't parade herself in front of his drunken friends. Mordecai, who is the uncle slash cousin of Esther, says, hey, there's going to be this, the king is going to have a beauty contest of all the land, and whoever wins is going to be the queen. Esther, you should do that. And so she does it. She wins, and the orphan Jewish girl becomes queen of Persia. Pretty amazing divine reversal, as we've been talking about. The villain of the story is, is his name is Haman. And the villain of the story is not a Jew. He's also not from Persia. He's in the Old Testament, farther back in history, an Amalekite. It says he's an Agagite, and an Agagite is the royal line of the Amalekites. Okay, that's very confusing, but I'm going to move on. And, and we see because of King Saul's lack of obedience to destroy the Amalekite people, the, the enemy of the Jew is still alive. And so Haman is that. He is an enemy of the Jew. But Haman becomes second in command of Persia. He doesn't like Mordecai the Jew because Mordecai the Jew won't bow down and pay homage to him because he's only going to pay homage to God. And so then he convinces King that there's this group of people, this nation of people living inside of his kingdom that are not honoring the Persians, and they must be utterly destroyed. The king doesn't even know what nationality he signs off on, but gives the ring, make a decree, all Jews are going to be killed on the 13th day of the month of Adar, the last month of the year. Then in chapter 4, Mordecai comes to Esther and he's weeping. She doesn't know why he's weeping. All the Jewish people are weeping, and she doesn't know why. Mordecai sends a message, do you not know the decree that, that the king has made through Haman that all Jews will be killed on the 13th day on the month of Adar? And then she's, Mordecai says to Esther, you've got to go tell the king that you're a Jew. Save the people. Esther says and sends back a message, I could die. Her uncle says, maybe God has placed you there for such a time as this, Exodus 4 verse 14. She sends a word back, have all the people fast and pray for three days. I'm going to go to the king, and if I die, I'll die. She goes to the king, and she ends up telling the king, the enemy of the Jew, her people is Haman, the second in command. Haman ends up dying on his own gallows, which he had built to kill Mordecai. Isn't that amazing? Carlos talked about that divine reversal. So they make a new decree. Mordecai is now the second in command. The Jew is now the second in command. A Jew, the queen, is in the royal palace. And she gives all of the property of Haman, the evil man, to her uncle Mordecai, the Jew. Isn't it great when God's in control? 
And so then they make a new decree. On the 13th day of Adar, the Jews can defend themselves. And there's great joy in the city. And then in verse 17, because of the great joy in all the providence, the verse we just read, many of the Jews, many of the non-Jews become Jews because of the fear of God. Isn't that a great story? And that's where we pick up in verse number one of chapter nine. So we're going to get to the the end of the chapter. We're going to end the book. And what we're going to find out in chapter nine, which I'm about to read for us, is that one of the purposes of the author writing the book of Esther is to let the people know of a feast or a celebration. The feast or the celebration is called Purim. If you remember, and we're about to read it, but, but it'll make... It'll click in your mind when, you, when I read this, if I give you the background. Remember when Haman was trying to decide when he was going to have the decree that all the Jews should be killed, they rolled dice. Do you remember what the name of the dice were called? They were pur or lots, right? So in the book of Jonah, to say they cast lots, okay? Or there were pur, right? So the die is called pur. And when they cast the die, the 13th day of Adar, that's when the decree would be, would be set. And, and so it's the Feast of Purim based on that one, the dice, right? Because of Haman's evil plan. They're gonna celebrate the freedom of the nation of Israel. And so every year they still celebrate Purim on the 13th day of Adar. For us, that's in the month of March, all right? And it kind of goes with the moon. So the days, will, will, you, can, you can look it up each, each year when it is. But they would have this big celebration. It kind of feels like our Christmas for the Jewish people, right? They, they help the poor, they give, give gifts, and they have a big feast. On the 13th day, uh, we, we don't do this at Christmas, but on the 13th day, they fast, and then they feast on the 14th day. Now, we thought about providing a feast for you today, but then we thought, nah, um, Never mind. But we, we did provide one thing for you. How many of you got one of these when you came in today? Okay. These, they make a lot of noise, right? Now, if, if you choose to open it up and eat it in here, I won't judge you. But I will tell you they will make a big mess, all right? And so we'll give you a vacuum cleaner on your way out. No, but they're actually really tasty. Does anybody know what these are called? Yell it out. All right, one of the names for them are Haman's ears. It's like, to me, it's, we could call them a Haley's ears because they're kind of big, right? Haman's ears, and, and I won't go into all the history, but, but it seems like these were introduced in Italy many years ago, and they eat these to celebrate the defeat of Haman, all right? Uh, Hamantosh is, would be the appropriate name or the the Hebrew name, Hamantash. And so feel free to taste one of these. It's just a reminder. This is a reminder every year to the Jewish people that God is good and God is in control. And that if we walk in obedience with God, God will provide and protect. And, and so it's just, a, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, you see this um, command for us, the stones of remembrance would be one that comes to mind, to remember the faithfulness of God. And the older I get, the more thankful I am to look back and see, man, God has been faithful to me. Could, could you say amen to that? Amen. You look back and, and sometimes when I look back and, and see the faithfulness of God, 
during those seasons of when I'm trying to trust that God is good and God is in control until he proves it, I have to look back and think, well, he did it then and he'll, he'll do it when, right? The faithfulness of God. Another tradition in the, the Jewish tradition of reading the story. So at the Feast of Purim, they would read the story of Esther. When they would read the story of Esther, they would, uh, when the name Haman was mentioned, everyone would boo or hiss. So I want, I want to see if you guys can do that today. Um, I thought that maybe we could, we could pretend better if we thought of the name Haman, that we would be thinking of the Philadelphia Eagles or, or maybe the New York Jets or, uh, you know, maybe the Houston Astros or, or something like that. But on the count of three, I'm going to say, Haman, I want to hear you boo. Can you do that? Three of you said yes. All right, one, two, three, Haman. Oh. Did you guys hear the noisemakers? Let me, let's hear the, Haman, let's hear the noisemakers. All right, so we have a, a couple of our students around, younger students that have called graggers. Okay, so they would have these in the audience and they would, we would say the word Haman and make noise because they don't want to hear the word Haman, all right? But then in the story, when they would read Mordecai or Mordecai, I don't really know how to pronounce that, Mordecai, then we would all cheer, all right? So now we're going to think like cowboys or we're going to think rangers, anti-jets or whatever. So can we, can we cheer when we hear the word Mordecai? Oh, you guys, you guys are good. All right. So we're going to get into the story, and I'm going to read chapter 9 and 10. When you hear those two names and you hear the word Haman, all right, when we hear Mordecai, man, you guys are good. Now, in the 12th month, that is in the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the time came for king's command and his decree to be executed on the day that the enemies of the Jews, here's a great divine reversal that I want you to, to not miss. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred. That's one of those moments where you write out, but God, God showed up. You ever had those moments where you felt like the world was against you where nothing was going right. Maybe you walked into a meeting. Maybe you walked into the hospital. Maybe you, you know, there's a thousand things that it could have been. And you walk in and what, what was expected to happen. But God showed up. And God proved that he is good and he's in control. And God proved to you that he's faithful. And that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Let's make sure we understand. It wasn't the power of the Jews. It was the power of the God of the Jews. Yes. Verse 2, the Jews gathered together in the cities throughout the province, and the king Ahasuerus laid hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because fear fell upon the people. All the officials in the province of the uh, satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because of the fear of Mordecai yeah. fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace and the fame spread throughout the province for this man Mordecai 
You guys are so good because increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and the slaughter of destruction and did what they had pleased with those who hated them. And in Shusha, in the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Also, there's a bunch of names, and I'm not going to try to pronounce them. Verse 10, the sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay hand on the plunder. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shusha, in the citadel, was brought to the king. And the king said to the queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shusha, in the citadel, the ten sons of Haman. What they had done in the rest of the king's province now was in your petition. It shall be granted, or what is the further request that shall be done? In other words, this is the report of what's happened today. Do you want me to do anything else? Verse 13, and Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to again tomorrow, according to today's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan and they hanged Haman's 10 sons. And the Jews were in Shushan gathered together again in the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan. But they did not lay hand on the plunder. The remainder of the Jews, the king's provinces, gathered together and protected their lives and had rest of their enemies and killed 75,000 of their enemies. But they did not lay hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as on the 14th day of the month and rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in unwalled towns, I about said unwallowed, unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar, which is in gladness and feasting on a holiday and sending presents to one another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in the providence of King Ahasuerus to establish among them the celebration yearly that the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the days in which the Jews had rest from their enemies or the month which had turned from sorrow to joy for them and from the morning to a holiday. There's all the reversals, right? They should make them the days of feasting of joy and sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamaditha and the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and cast per, there it is, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king and commanded by letter the wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return to his own return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim after the name Pur. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had concerned in this matter and what happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them without fail. They would celebrate these two days every year according to the written instruction, according to the prescribed time. Verse 29. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abigail, with Mordecai. You guys were slow on that one. The Jew wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews, the 127 prophets of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, with words of peace and truth to confirm the days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai 
the Jew and Queen Esther prescribed for them, and they decreed for themselves and the descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. Chapter 10. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land, on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power, of his might, and the account of his great, the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, and they were not written in the book of, and they were, and they are not written in the book of Chronicle of the Kings of Mede and Persians. For Mordecai, the Jew, was second to King Ahasuerus, and the king among the Jews, and received by multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, speaking peace to all the countrymen. You should give yourself a hand. You guys did great on that. So if you didn't catch it, in the city, they had an extended day of defending themselves. In the rural areas, remember there's 170 provinces over a vast land, and they didn't get word out to the outlying, unwalled is what it said, cities, that we're going to do this another day. So all the people out in the country celebrated the day before all the people in the city. And so... Typically, there's two days. And now, traditionally, now, most of them celebrate on the, on the one day. But what a great reminder for us of the faithfulness of God. And the reminder for us to celebrate the goodness of God. To be reminded of his goodness and that God, in fact, is good and in control. I want to give you four lessons from the book of Esther, just kind of as we close out this book, four points of application. Now, we have to be careful when we read stories in the Bible, because not everything that is recorded for us as a story in the Bible would, would be what we called prescriptive. Okay? Just because someone does it in the Bible doesn't mean it's okay for us to do it now. There are some things in this story that, that even the lead characters in the story did that were against Mosaic law, were against the commands of God. So not everything in the story is telling us to act in kind. Okay, so we have to be careful. The, the most important for us to do when we look at Scripture is that we interpret Scripture with other Scripture. When something is not clear in Scripture, we go to the other parts of Scripture that would re reveal to us what is clear. But in this story, we see themes that are all throughout the Bible, principles and truths, applications for us to live out. The first one is this, and I think these are really very simple. The first one is that God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Personalize that. God, think about the, the, the ramifications of this statement, if you choose to believe it. God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator, the great I am, the alpha and the omega, Yahweh, wants to use you. Do you believe that? And this, the, the, the Bible reveals to us all kinds of people that God uses. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear in the New Testament that God uses the foolish to confound the wise. The ignorant, I are him, 
to teach. And you are too, right? Jeremiah, the Lord spoke to him. Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, what, me? I'm just a student, I'm just a youth. But the Lord said to me, verse seven, don't say I'm a youth. You shall go to all whom I send and whatever I command you, you shall speak. God wants to use you. And I don't know what God's plan for you is, but I know God has a plan for you. And I'm thankful this, this past week, that, and I know I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we have some students in our student ministry who have started Bible clubs in their school, and this week had an opportunity to preach the gospel inside their school. Isn't that amazing? You know, we have people in our church. Last night, we had a, a celebration of uh, a couple in our church who God spoke into their heart to say, we want you to start a ministry training uh, untrained pastors in rural areas. And the first area God sent them to was in northern islands of the Philippines. And, and to, to watch and to get a report last night of Sean and Janelle and their ministry, prime ministries in the Philippines, what God is doing. It's just a couple that God spoke into and they said, I'll go, I'll do it. God, I, I think you want me to use me. We have another... I use the word young, maybe a little bit, you know, depending on your person, because some of you think I'm young and some of you think I'm really, really old. But we have a young couple in our church that, that has a great career working in student ministry. And just this year, they have said, God, we think you want us to go on the mission field. They've surrendered their life to be missionaries with Mana Worldwide. And they're gonna, he is gonna start traveling and raising funds. And he's going to be drilling water wells in Honduras and any other place that God calls him to. Isn't that amazing? We had students this year at camp say, you know what? I think God wants me to be in full-time ministry. Whatever that looks like, I'm willing to go. I want you to know the book of Esther and the theme of the Bible is God wants to use you. But God cannot use you until you say, I can do it. God, whatever you want. And whether you're 16 in here today and your whole life ahead of you, whether you're 35 in here and you're right in the middle of your career and experience, and, and, and everything that you, the American dream, right? You've got it. You're on your way. And God may say, but I want you to drill some wells in Honduras. And that's, that's a huge what, step of faith, right? But God wants to use you. The second one, courage is often required to walk in obedience. It's not easy to give up a career and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust that God's gonna provide my money. I'm gonna travel to the Philippines and train these rural pastors. I've been over there where they stay. It's not the Holiday Inn Express. It's not even Motel 6. It's gonna take some courage for a young family with elementary and junior high age kids to say, I'm gonna quit my job and go drill wells in Honduras 
That takes some courage. When Joshua took over for Moses, what did God say to him multiple times? Joshua 1, be strong and of good. What's the word? In the next few verses, he uses the word courage three different times. Have courage. Be courageous. For I am with you. We just sang it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23, 4. I will fear what? I'll fear nothing. Why? Why, why could the psalmist say? Why could we sing that today? Yea, though I walk through the... You, you want me to sing it for you? No. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing. Why? What's the rest of the verse? For thou art with me in the old King James, because you are with me, God. God has promised that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. We sang about the resurrection of Christ today, did we not? And the same power that resurrected Christ as a follower of Jesus indwells you. And that's why we can stand and say, you know what? It's going to take courage, but you have everything in you to take the step of faith. God is with you. God wants to use you. Courage is required. Number three, fasting and prayer are crucial to victory. This is a tough one. The truth is, it's, it's hard to get you guys to pray. Now we're adding fasting to it as we hand out danishes, right? <laughs> Can I, can I just challenge you? Introduce in your life the discipline of fasting and praying. And that may look different for you. I don't think you need to be legalistic on, on your fasting. I was reminded of this last week when, when I was on a cruise. And I made a commitment to fast for three days while I was on a cruise. I'm just kidding. That would be stupid. <laughs> The look on y'all's face was like, you, you are a moron. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, that's not my notes. I don't even know if I should have said that. We're going to say the Holy Spirit told me to say that. I did fast for three days after I got off the cruise. Introduce fasting. Remember when Esther was struggling with, do you realize I could be killed? And what did she do? She fasted and she prayed. And she asked the people, fast and pray. Fast and pray. What did Jesus say to his disciples when they couldn't cast out the demons? Sometimes this only comes out. This only will happen. Well, first he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move the mountains. Sometimes it's going to require fasting and prayer. For us to give up food for a season, whether it's a meal a day, I, I don't know. Your, your health can determine that. You can talk to the Lord about what it means for you. But to give up food for a day, maybe will put us in a serious mode of I'm going to pray. God, I need you to show up. God, I'm really trying to trust that you are good and you're in control, but I don't see it. 
Number four, God works all things for his purpose. Do you believe that? Some of you do. Do you believe God works all things for his purpose? These two verses, I think there's a, you need to memorize these two verses. These are one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament to say the same thing, that God works all things for his purpose. When Joseph stood before his brothers after his dad had died, if you don't know the story, you can go read it in Genesis, but his, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, years and years of, of, of anguish. He had forgiven them. They weren't sure that he had actually forgiven them. Once dad died, they were like, oh, now real Joseph's coming out. And he stood before them and said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. To save all these people. God is always working. Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his, what's the last word? A purpose. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God wants to use you. Courage is required. And maybe you may have to get serious with God and fast and pray to seek him. Jeremiah 29, it says, I know the plans for you. It goes on to say, if you will seek me with all your heart, you know what God promises? You'll find me. Let's get serious with God. God, I'm ready to be used. Give me the faith to take the step. If I need to be more serious and spend some time in prayer and fasting, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust that in the season I'm in, you're working. Would you close your eyes for a moment as the band makes the way to the stage? There's a lot of room in this message for you to just let the Spirit speak to you. What, what's, what's God saying to you in this moment? What's the step of faith? Is it offering forgiveness to someone? Is it releasing someone and the bitterness from your own heart? Is it to simply say, I surrender, God, whatever you want from my life, I'm willing. You say it, I'm going. Is it to take the next step of faith and just share your faith, invite someone to follow Palooza, invite someone to church, tell someone about Jesus? I, there's a lot of room for application for the Holy Spirit to, to dealt just to speak into you. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to entrust that to you. That in this moment, you'll ask the Lord, what do you, what's my takeaway? What would you have me to do? And I'm going to pray in a moment. We're going to stand and, and finish and worship through music. But I would ask you to do business with God during that time. Maybe that means coming to the altar and praying. Maybe that means just staying seated when we stand and praying. Maybe that just means raising your hands in worship and singing with all you have to a good, good God.